You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. The Gospel according to John, chapter 18. And what we're going to be doing, you heard Mike Landry explain to the children that the arrival of the king when he came into Jerusalem, it was according to prophecy. It didn't just happen that way that he was like, well, I don't see a dirt bike, I don't see a four-wheeler, let me just go grab this donkey over there. This is all according to scripture. And so we have him arrive in Jerusalem for the final week of his life. And so where we left off in Luke many weeks ago, is we ended with him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at often overlooked details about the final hours of the life of Christ. And what this is going to do, this is going to show us just how awesome he is. Or to put it the way that song did, how great our God is truly is. And so we're going to see not just the events surrounding what happened to him, but those little details that are just going to open up this story for us. So what I want you to do is just in your mind, just kind of transport yourself back to when Jesus is praying in the garden and just kind of think about that, that the, the countdown clock is ticking for him, that he will be physically dead by 3 p.m. the following day. So knowing what is coming down the pipeline, the burden that he was carrying, remember Luke, who was a physician who wrote this, he, he told us that Jesus was, he was under such duress that his blood was, his sweat was like drops of blood, that it was so intense, the agony of knowing what was coming That's what he was dealing with. So what we're going to do today is we are going to be anchored in Luke, but we're going to draw from the other Gospels to help us kind of understand this story. And so we're going to do this in four points. The first point is the power of I am. So I want you to look. This is in John chapter 18, starting in verse number four. So this is right after Judas... Iscariot agreed to betray Jesus right when he was actually doing the betrayal that he went remember he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver and I want you to see this this may hopefully blow your minds the way that it blew mine when I first saw this so this is John chapter 18 verse 4 it says Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him So he stepped forward to meet them, talking about Judas, the arresting guards, and it says that he brought many, many soldiers with them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Watch this in verse number six. As Jesus said, I am he, They all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more, he asked them, 
Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. Now, why is this important? If you look at your version of the Bible, and each of them may be different, when he says, I am he, the word he should be italicized. Is it italicized in your Bible? Some of them. It is not, that word he is not in the Greek manuscripts. They added that to help us understand I am he. I'm, I am the dude that you're looking for. But that would be a little bit too casual for the Bible. He said, I'm him. But the reason that's important, if you take off the word he, what does that leave us with? I am. Now, let me bring this kind of full circle for everyone. Jesus was saying, I am God incarnate. Meaning, I am God. I have the power to forgive sin. I have the power to calm the wind and the waves. Because the book of Psalms says only one person has the power to do that. And Jesus is saying, I am. So think back to Exodus chapter 3. You have Moses in the burning bush, right? God says, I am who I am through the burning bush. That was the name God gave himself. So God is saying, I am. That's such a powerful statement. But jump over to John chapter 8, verse 57 and 58, and we have a slide for this. Jesus is beginning to reveal his divinity to the people. And he says, right here in verse 57, the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? Because this is roughly 27 to 30 AD that Jesus makes this statement right here. But Abraham was a long time, many generations before that. But Jesus says, I've seen him. And he says in verse 58, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, what is that word, or what are those words? I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. Because only one person has used that phrase before, I am, and that was God. The Jews knew it. So when he said, I am, he was making a very, very bold statement saying that I am God. To push this point a little bit further, Jesus in the gospel account declares seven times, seven different times, I am. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Do we have a slide for this? I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. 
I am. That is who Jesus is. He is God in human flesh. The incarnate word of God personified in him. So why are we talking about all of this? Because in John's gospel account, when they went to arrest Jesus, when he said, I am, what that was was just a glimpse, a tiny little morsel of his truly divine nature that showed it was so powerful, it knocked them down. Can we put up John 18, 4 through 8, and one more time? And really, verse 6. As Jesus said, I am, remember that he is not in the original manuscripts. When he said, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. That power of God hit that band of Roman soldiers and knocked them down. That was the power of the divine God. Just a little glimpse. And that would come full circle in just a matter of less than 24 hours. Because when he was crucified, when he drew his last breath, that's when the earthquake quaked. The veil was torn in two. But also the power of the resurrection is in the Greek, it's dunamis, it's dynamite, like dynamite, boom! That's the power of God. The force knocked them down. But here's the thing, he could have done much, much more, revealing his divine nature, power, and a display of all of this, but we'll get more, to, more on that here in just a second. So the first point was the power of I am. The second point we're going to look at is the hypocrisy of the Jews. So if you would, go ahead and jump over to Luke chapter 23. This is essentially where we left off in Luke. And so Luke was praying in the garden. That agony, that blood was dripping like it was sweat. Or sweat that was like blood, I should say. Then he is arrested, he's betrayed, he's arrested, and then he's taken before the Sanhedrin, which included the high priest, the Romans, then you have Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time. So let's look at Luke chapter 23, starting in verse number 1. It says, Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming that he is the Messiah, a king. Now, did Jesus say don't pay your taxes? Quite the opposite. What did he say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. So, that's a lie. Was he claiming to be the Messiah? Absolutely he was. Was he claiming to be a king? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the king that they were expecting. Verse number three, so Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. Watch this. But he is causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. 
Was he causing riots? Nope. Was he flipping tables and telling them that you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves? Yes, he was. Was that causing a riot? Or a better word would be insurrection. Was he causing that? Nope. They lied yet again. But here's where it gets interesting. Jump down in Luke 23 to verse 18. Luke 23, 18 says, Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. Watch verse 19. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So, logic time. What they're doing is they're saying, Okay, this guy Jesus claims to be the Messiah, but he is causing riots wherever he goes. He is causing insurrections. So we want you to crucify him. But I want you to release to us Barabbas over here who was guilty of causing insurrections or being a part of insurrections as well as murder. So they're saying, yeah, this guy is worse, but we really hate this guy over here. So we'll give you him to crucify, but we want this guy released over here. And it's funny how those shouts of Hosanna on Palm Sunday quickly turn into crucify him, crucify him in just a matter of a few days. Now, here's what's interesting. Mike kind of hinted at this at the beginning. The word Hosanna are the Hebrew words yasha, which means to deliver or to save, and Anna, so yasha Anna, that's where we get the term Hosanna or Hoshana. That means to beg or beseech. You combine those words. I beg you to save us. That's what they were shouting when he rode in on that donkey with laying their palm branches down saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. It is literally saying, Lord, please deliver us. Please save us. We believe that you can save us. We believe that you can Fast forward to Thursday night. After he's arrested, they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, kill this guy. Crucify him. He needs to die for what it is that he is saying. Look down at Luke 23, verse 22. For the third time he demanded, this is talking about Pilate, why What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. He turned Jesus over to them, to do as they wished. So Pilate is saying, there is no legal reason why I should crucify him. In another gospel account, he says, the blood is not on my hands. It is on your hands, talking to the Jews, saying, I find no legal reason for this guy to die. If you want it, you got it. So what Pilate did was he flogged Jesus, and we talked about this 
a couple weeks ago when in Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were flogged. They were taken in front of the, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had such hatred for them and for the message that they were sending or that they were spreading that they had them flogged. And we talked about it was a piece of leather, a bunch of pieces of leather that had pieces of metal and bone on the very ends of it. So when you got hit with it, it wasn't just one, one lashing. It was a bunch dangling right there. And it, when you hit, those pieces of metal and bone would rip chunks of skin out every single time that it hit you. Not just one, but there were many. And if you've seen The Passion of the Christ, you know you see a, a good visual of that. 39 times he was beaten. Times however many things were on that thing. I'm sure it has a name. He was beat, what we would say, within an inch of his life. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said he was unrecognizable as a man. That is how bad he was beaten. He was taken before them. They lied about him, that he was causing an insurrection. Did he claim to be the Messiah? Absolutely. He did that at the very front end of his ministry. When he went into that synagogue there in Nazareth and said, today, this is fulfilled. That is when he claimed to be the Messiah. Did he claim to be a king? Yes. We know him as king. But they saw that as so much of a threat that they had to put him to death. So what did they do? We know this story. They made him carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. And you can actually go and take the same path that he did today. It's called the Via Doloroso. Yeah, that was awkward. Okay. Look it up, Google. Google that. But you can actually do that. It's, it's the, the trail of sorrows is literally what it means. I can't roll my R's, but you get the picture. What they did was they, Simon the Cyrene, they actually ordered him to carry the cross for Jesus part of the way. They took him to a place called Golgotha. That was Aramaic. And that was the place of the skull. In Aramaic, actually, it means the place of the bald. I'm not taking any offense to that, but the place of the skull because of how it looked. We also know that it has another name known as Calvary. He was nailed to the cross as a form of humiliation, but also as a deterrent to others. So it was twofold, punishment but also humiliation. They wanted him to suffer. They nailed Jesus to that cross and they put a sign above his head, mocking him, saying, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. You think that he's a king? Look what we did to your king. That's what the Romans and the Jews 
worth thinking. Point number two was the hypocrisy of the Jews. Point number three, God's grace on full display. So we're still in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, when someone pointed this out to me, it's like, huh, tiny little light bulb, bing, goes on in my head, and here it is. Someone pointed out one time that Jesus himself did not try to convert the two thieves on the cross. He waited until one of them turned to him. I, I see some people are like, oh, yeah, makes sense. When I heard that, I was like, gosh, that's so simple. He wasn't up there like, guys, place your faith in me and you'll be with me in paradise. One of them scoffed. The other said, remember me. I believe that you are who you say you are. You're being unjustly punished for what you are. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, meaning I believe that you are a king with a kingdom. Remember me when you go there. Jesus said, you have placed faith in me. I will see, I will, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. God's grace was on full display even while he was suffering. He extended that grace to one of the thieves, but not to the other. It was the one who placed faith in him. God's grace was on full display. Now, our final point here today is the big picture. So I want you to think back to when Jesus was being arrested and jump over to Matthew chapter 26. This is kind of going to bring everything full circle. And Whitney, I, I think the, the slide is incorrect. It it's, may say Luke on there, but it's actually Matthew 26, 53. So what happens is they are coming for Jesus. This is Matthew's account of what's happening. They are coming. Judas has betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, it says Luke on the bottom up here. This is actually Matthew 23. They are coming. What we would say is pitchforks and torches. They were coming for Jesus. They sent many people after him. Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off the ear of one of, he's actually a slave named Malchus, to stop the arrest of Jesus from happening. Now, think back to, this is not the first time Peter tried to get into the, in the way of what the Lord was trying to do. In Matthew 16, when they went to Caesarea Philippi, Peter, Jesus reveals, here's what's going to have to happen to me 
Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus responds sharply and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, was it truly Satan in, you know, mimicking Peter? No. Another sermon for another day. But this is not the first time that Peter stepped in and said, I, this, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Why is this important? Jesus tells him, put away your sword. Jesus actually, I'm presuming, picks up his ear. That's kind of gross. But picks up his ear and heals Malchus. And then Jesus tells him, tells Peter, put away your sword. Why is this important? Matthew 23, verses uh, 26, starting in 53. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly. But if I did, watch this, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Again, this is not willy-nilly, just let's make this up as we go along. This isn't Jesus saying, well, I, 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 I know that I have to suffer, but I, ooh, that's going to be painful. I don't know. Peter, why don't you go out and try to stop him? No, it's not anything like that. This is according to God's plan. Look at verse 55. Then said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you have come with swords and clubs to arrest me. That goes back to the insurrection comment that they tried to accuse him of. He's like, I'm just a, a guy. He said, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. Verse 56, here it is again. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled Every single one of them. The going got tough, and the scared got going. They ran away because they were fearful. Nate and I actually talked about this, I guess, within a week or two ago. There are some people out there who say the Old Testament is just the Old Testament. Actually, let let me quote them directly. We need to unhitch from the Old Testament. As New Covenant believers, Jesus is the man. You're half right. Yes, he is the man. That's completely right. But to unhitch from the Old Testament, not on your life. Not on your life. And here's why. The entire Bible is about one person. Jesus. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I don't have this in the notes, but it is found in Luke chapter 24. I encourage you to flip there. Luke 24, 27. And I encourage you to to write this down, look it up later. This verse right here summarizes the entire Bible. Why can we not unhitch from the Old Testament? This is exactly why. Luke 24, 27, this is out of the 
New Living Translation. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses was talking about Jesus. We never see his name, Jesus. We know that a Redeemer, a Savior, a Messiah is coming. For the ladies who are studying Isaiah on Wednesday mornings up here, which I encourage all the ladies to attend that if you're able to do that, they are studying Isaiah. Isaiah talks about a Redeemer who is going to come. They were looking for that Redeemer. He came in the form, in the person of Jesus Christ. So, to unhitch from the Old Testament saying, we don't need that. That's the Old Covenant. It's all about the New Covenant. Yes, again, you're half right. But this entire Bible, Genesis, Isaiah, Second Chronicles is pointing towards the Redeemer that is to come. And here in Luke chapter 23, we see the Messiah here. It irritated them so much that they said, this guy needs to be put to death. The Messiah is here. This is according to God's plan. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, fellowship was broken with God. With the sin of first Eve, then Adam, there was separation. A holy God could not look at an unholy creation, and that's humanity. So you had to have the perfect sacrifice to bridge that gap between unholy and holy. Jesus was that. He was perfect. He was the only person who was ever 100% perfectly sinless. There are other religions that believe that other people were perfect and without sin. There is only one, and that is Jesus. At 3 o'clock that Friday afternoon, Jesus was breathing his last breaths. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath was poured out on his begotten son. God's wrath, his anger towards me and towards you, what we deserve, was poured out on his son. That's why Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Because a holy God could not look at the, the collection of all of that wrath, that sin, that punishment that we deserve. So at 3 o'clock that Friday, Jesus dies. On the cross they put him in the ground so the Jewish calendar the day starts at 6 p.m. or sundown so when he was put in the tomb before 6 p.m. that counts as a full day then you have Friday at 6 p.m. till Saturday at 6 p.m. that's another day and then 601 p.m through the next day, that's the third day. The resurrection of Christ is what we're going to celebrate next Sunday. Again, all of this is according to God's 
plan to redeem mankind back to himself. Many people tried to earn their way into God's good graces. Say, God, I, am, I love you with all of my heart. I'm a man after your own heart. But he says, that's oily rags. That's filthy rags to me. Your self-righteous is nothing. I am perfectly righteous and you are not. So we can try to earn that. But ultimately it is Christ who was perfect. The perfect sacrifice. The Lamb of God. This is all according to his plan of redemption. Jesus is the Messiah. The Father sent him to redeem all of mankind according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, this is all prophesied. His grace and his mercy is extended to every single person on earth. Yet not everyone is going to accept it. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this. says that if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And it goes on in verse 13 to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what are those two steps? Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Believe that his Father resurrected him, raised him from the dead, if you believe that and then declare that with your mouth, you will be saved. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.